women's rights world. Welcome to episode three of season three. This is our golden anniversary here from the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, a podcast series that's shining a spotlight on women in intellectual property. I'm your host, Michelle Katz, and I'm the co-founding partner of the law firm Advitum IP, which in Latin means intellectual property for life. We are based out of the U.S. in Chicago. Me and my firm are hosting this podcast on behalf of North Ends Media PR and Marketing Limited, based out of the U.K. in London. They are the publishers of the Women's IP World Annual and the Global IP Matrix Magazine. The 2023 edition of the Women's IP World can be found digitally at www.womensipworld.com. Again, that's www.womensipworld.com. And you can listen to the annual as well on your favorite podcast app. Now that we're back in person at many IP conferences, please keep an eye out for hard copies as well. I am delighted to have my third conversation with Keisha Fleming Lake, founder of Keisha Fleming Lake PLLC in Anguilla. It's great to chat with you again. Remind us where in the Caribbean you're situated. Yes, hi, Michelle. And it's really good to be here and speaking with you again. I am situated in Anguilla, that's in the British West Indies, and I also have an office in Florida. Where you're actually sitting today, right? You're in Florida? Yes, I am in Florida today in Palm Beach. So it's been a year. Why don't you tell us, if you would please, what has changed with your law firm life? Well, the last time we spoke, I worked for another firm that was also in Palm Beach, Florida, And since then, I have started my own practice, my own IP boutique firm in Palm Beach. But we actually, our office, base office is in Jupiter, Florida, and we have our office also in Anguilla. So I do maintain a presence in both places, but we opened, we launched on October 3rd, and we pride ourselves on being an international IP law firm focusing on the Caribbean region with offices in Anguilla and in Jupiter, Florida. And so are you finding yourself going back and forth between countries? Yes, I've always gone back and forth, even when I worked for the previous law firm. Um, and But now I do it more because I am focusing more on really establishing and understanding the intellectual property law practice in the region, making connections with the registries, really understanding the different markets so I can advise the clients and brand owners who are interested in knowing that information. So I spend a lot more time in the Caribbean, but then I also building the Florida-based office. So I spend quite a bit of time here too. So going back and forth more. And, you know, since last year we spoke travel between Florida and Anguilla has improved. Now we have direct flights. So that has also made it even more convenient. I can be in Anguilla in two and a half hours as opposed to an entire day of travel. Well, that's huge. Definitely. I mean, time is our scarcest commodity. And it it seems like the economy then is improving if there's flights going back and forth and direct direct ones um, often enough to make your life more convenient. 
Yes, well, you know, the thing is, is that Angola is a very high-end tourism destination. That is our main industry. And what has been happening is that the same exclusive and high-end service that has been offered to the tourism market, we're trying with the uh, registrar and the persons involved in IP development in Angola to extend that type of service to the IP world and to all the other sectors that we have in Angola. So benefit of having easy travel to the Caribbean helps us practitioners and business people who want to get in and out of Anguilla. And so because tourism is our main market, we're benefiting from that. And tourists are coming back now that we have, you know, emerged for the most part from from what was from the pandemic. Are you noticing that on the streets? Are you seeing a lot more people around when when you are in Anguilla? Yes, well, the thing is, is that when you're in Anguilla, you don't see our tourists like that as you do in most of other Caribbean countries because, again, Angola is a very high, very, very high-end destination. So we market to the very wealthy and famous uh, movie stars and, you know, the, the people who are looking for privacy. But what mm-hmm. we do have is our statistical records, the occupancy rates that we depend upon to give us the information that we need. And we definitely see an increase in the occupancy throughout the island. And before, you know, Angola was known for only having high traffic within a short number of months a year. We're seeing that the traffic of tourists are extending through the entire year. So even though there's a period of months where it's closed during the peak tourist hurricane season, we do have tourists coming for longer periods and we are having what they call um, people who want to be in Angola and walk online. And, you know, just a a more diverse market. Again, still very high-end, but you don't typically see tourists on the street. You see them in the restaurants. You kind of look at occupancy rates and the reports that come out, and you're definitely seeing an increase. Well, and from your perspective, I mean, it's like, well, do I want to experience the nice weather of Florida or the nice weather in Angola? So, I mean, it's a real hard choice for you, I'm sure. It is a hard choice, but Anguilla offers, you know, that kind of um, calm, calmness, quietness, real tranquil atmosphere that you don't typically get in Florida. So I get the best of both worlds. Um, I get the, the consistent weather, yes, but then when I need that kind of reset button hit, Anguilla is the place to get that done. So I kind of take advantage of that when I'm going back and forth. I always try to have that day where I can just sit and enjoy the fresh breeze, the natural air, the perfect weather and the quietness and the calmness and the beaches, of course. Yes, but I don't imagine you have your laptop out on the beach too much uh, while while you're working now. Basically, two jobs. You now have two firms, if I understand correctly. Um, yes. And so it's quite a busy life. And I know you're ma- you maintain a you know family as well. Yes, it is a busy life, but it's exciting. And I get to control the pace of it when I can. And, you know, I always believe that if you enjoy what you do, it never really seems like work. And I really enjoy. I'm very passionate about IP. I'm very passionate about the Caribbean. So it's like a match made in heaven for me. Well, that's wonderful. I love that. So your impressive bio is on page 25 of the latest edition, and your article starts on page 26 for the listeners out there um, who may be wanting to target, go straight to your article. 
And the article's entitled Intellectual Property Protection in 2023. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll continue our discussions very soon when we're back. Have you started your marketing campaign plans for 2023? Are you interested in highlighting your services to the global IP community? Have you ever thought about publishing thought leadership content to build confidence with your industry peers? Why not consider the Global IP Matrix magazine in your 2023 marketing expansion plans? Our print, digital and non-intrusive audio formatted magazine is published only three times per year to give you, our client, the best possible exposure at a minimum of eight global intellectual property conferences and event seminars per issue. We publish 3,000 copies per issue and have built solid relationships with the likes of Inter, Ector, Marx and AIPPI, plus many more important IP event organizations internationally, to give our clients the best possible exposure in the correct physical IP social environments. We market our publications like no other industry magazine. We are the only IP magazine on the market that is published in a non-intrusive audio format, so you can listen whilst you work on your favorite mobile app. So, benefit from international exposure at IP events worldwide, continuous marketing of your services throughout the year, and working side by side with a passionate team that will work hard to shine the spotlight on your business and services like no other in the global IP community. The clients that are working with us now are the clients that have stuck with us since our launch back in 2018. Contact us today for an informal chat about your IP law firm or IP business, and let's discuss how we can work together. Call plus 44-0203-813-0457 or email info at gipmatrix.com www.gipmatrix.com The Global IP Matrix Magazine. Connecting you with the global IP community. Welcome back. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back, Keisha. So I know you made some predictions in your article from last year, the 2022 edition. Can you remind us what they were? I mean, essentially, do we need to add Oracle, right, to your CV? (laughs) Yes, well, you know, my predictions kind was consistent in the trend that was obvious because the Caribbean on a whole is moving towards modernization to catch up with some of the bigger jurisdictions and all industries. And it's no surprise that the IP industry would definitely be one taking that trend. And the one of my biggest pr- predictions was WIPO and its reach and that more jurisdictions would be signing on to WIPO. Well, it happened a little quicker than I predicted because we had Trinidad and Jamaica that signed on, I think, since we last spoke. Um, That was one of the things I predicted. Uh, Some jurisdictions that are still manual and, you know, unless they're legislative changes, they really can't change the manual aspect of doing business with the IP offices, but they can implement certain things that allow for some electronic modernization way of doing business to integrate into the office. And we see islands, even Anguilla, which was one of those that I least expected, have made some changes to allow for for email filing, something that was not just two years ago was definitely not accepted, and to allow for copies to be filed, electronic filing, which is something that I anticipated 
due, because we saw the restrictions that were placed upon us during the COVID pandemic era that restricted our ability to continue filings. I expect coming out of COVID that you see more of those measures that were put in place continue. And, and, and it has happened. And so, you know, it's really good to see that some of what I predicted came to pass. And I'm also looking forward to where we're going. It's a really good projection for the Caribbean. So when I see you at the next conference and I look at your business, you know, you hand me a business card, right? And perhaps with the with the new firm that you founded in October of 2022, it will then say Oracle on it. Is that, I mean, that's basically what you're telling me that what you predicted came true. Okay. And you're updating and circulating your CV. <laughs> And it, it may it may not say that, but definitely I will <laughs> I communicated bubbly at the very least, you know. Um, because I don't want people to be that coming to me for that type of business. I really want to stick to IP. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it might it might go beyond the scope of IP then, I suppose. Um yes. so, <laughs> well here here's something that you know I'm curious about always has kind of blown me away where I hear about jurisdictions that were still paper-based. Okay. Because for us here in the U S that is, um, long past, I mean, really long past and, you know, to, and I've been practicing for, you know, about 22 years or so. And when I started, I think was when the trademark office, had just transitioned, you could still file on paper. They were charging you more to, to file on paper. Patent office was still on paper, but then of course that caught up to the trademark office a bit later. Um, you know, and to still, you know, pre-pandemic, you're still filing on paper, you know? And then now, I mean, do you see the pandemic really was this, was a huge catalyst for kind of, I mean, maybe it would have happened anyway without it, but do you see the pandemic really was like the but for the pandemic or you still be on paper today? Yes. Well, we are still on paper, first of all. There's still okay. quite a few jurisdictions that are on paper. But what is happening is, is in addition to the paper, um, they are allowing some filings by email. And, and some jurisdictions during the pandemic and right after have gone completely electronic. So we still have so You know, the Caribbean is... It's a multiple, 29 different jurisdictions. So it's sometimes we forget it's not one universal system applied across all. Every country has their own legislation. And so we have some of the smaller islands that are still paper. And even those that are, who are not willing to accept an electronic filing to, to capture a filing date, are now allowing it with the mm -hmm. understanding that the original paper filing has to come in. And even that, little change as small as it may seem to the to persons is a significant change for practitioners like myself who want to capture a filing date but may not be able to physically make it to the office or cannot get the originals from the clients who may be across the globe you know so if i have to wait for the documents to come in to me by dhl or fedex and then i take it in versus sending it to me electronically and at least capturing the filing date with the electronic filing that helps it helps a lot so well, i see it as a huge shift even if there are, there's always going to be certain, I mean, I've, because of um, 
vacation history. Um, I have traveled to many of the Caribbean islands. I understand independence between jurisdictions down there, from my perspective, um, down. But um, I still think it's a it's a really a huge uh, shift in uh, in the in IP practice in the Caribbean region. Even yeah. if you're you're gonna have the few that are you know that are slower to change. Yes, definitely. And even those that are slower to change, you know, I was in Angola visiting with the IP office in March and spent a lot of time speaking with the registrar, the main examiner. They're very open to suggestions. And especially if you work in other jurisdictions and work in another country, they want to know what's happening. This is new. You know, I've been in IP for a while and I've never, for at least six, seven years, I've never had this kind of intimate conversation. And one of the key things that I see coming up consistently in our conversations is this move towards electronic filing. That is huge. Our court systems are now electronic. Our magistrate court is now electronic pre-COVID, post-COVID, sorry. So to see the IP office actually having the conversation there's light at the end of the tunnel where that is concerned. And that's huge because it was never a conversation before COVID. Um, and so I, I suspect, you know, if I was to visit another registry, that's small, other smaller islands, it's going to be the same conversation with that office. We're, we're making efforts to move towards electronic. And that is significant. It's going to change the landscape of IP practice to the region, especially in those smaller jurisdictions where IP protection is very important, especially with the increase of counterfeit importation. And so, you know, this is going to really be in a couple of years when we have this conversation again, I'm hoping that I can report that there is more countries that are, are electronic but I definitely think at the very least I'd be able to see there's more movement towards that and more conversation. Yes, I'm going to hold you to that. Ne you know, same same time, same place next year. Let's let's make a date of it. So we got our four years in a row <laughs> next year. <laughs> it's not just the Caribbean, though. I do know there are other jurisdictions uh, around the world, um, particularly ones that come to mind in South America, where there are still paper filings, even though the pandemic has uh, really stalled the work, um, both for those at the working at the office and those who are, you know, running practices and whatnot, they're still sticking to paper. But uh, that's why it, I found really uh, so interesting that the pandemic really was such like a like a almost like a cattle prod, you know, like get got the Caribbean so many places within the Caribbean moving and advancing um, to electronic, you know, paper to email, email to online. I think it's going in a, in a, in the right direction um, for us as practitioners that we don't, we're not tied to paper. We're not tied to where, where we are, right. As long as we have a strong connection um, to the internet, then we can yeah. work from, from anywhere. And same with the employees of these various companies, uh, you know, in the trademark offices, for example, I was curious to ask you, what are um, what, what's another really big change in the Caribbean IP world? Well, I think two, well, there are two big changes that I that come to my mind immediately, and I don't know which is you know which is more, but definitely the active measures to combat uh, the trade of counterfeit goods. To me, I see more um, uh, unified and organized attempts to combat this aggressive importation of counterfeit goods into the region. 
And why to me that is important is because we have very small communities in the Caribbean. And so the effects of counterfeit goods that can affect the health of the population can spread very rapidly. And even though the importation may not be into, into a mass importation may not be into every single island, the travel between the islands is so frequent. And so the ability to purchase and take from one island to the next. You know, Anguilla may do a very good job, for example, of preventing the importation through its port of entry for cargo. But the travel and the, the ability and the often times that people go to St. Martin, to other islands to buy goods to bring in for their consumption is very high. And so the widespread attempts, active measures to combat the trade of counterfeit goods through the Caribbean is important. And so in St. Martin, I know for sure, I've had a conversation with one of the ministers there, and she is very, very active. And, and this is something that's new and post-pandemic, very active in putting measures in place and educating the public and, and really um, encouraging brand owners to register the IP and to join with IP practitioners and the government agencies to combat counterfeit. Um, and that's big. That's very important for us in the Caribbean. Yeah, it seems that historically the Caribbean's been, you know, like a hotbed for counterfeiters. It was just so easy with the distances between islands. Uh, how, what, do, can you give us an example of some of the measures that have been put into place that are improving the anti-counterfeiting uh, efforts in the, re in the region? Well, in Trinidad, for example, I know that they had a new law that came into place recently and they, and they have made some changes in their legislation with some anti-counterfeit measures, which is, which is important because the enforcement uh, of powers that are then put in place by the legislation is going to be very helpful. That's one of the changes. Some of the draft legislation that's in the books for some of the other jurisdictions, we see where anti-counterfeit measures are being in place. And then another big thing is educating the public. Sometimes we take for granted the importance of the consumer understanding the difference between genuine authentic goods and counterfeit goods. And we see where a lot of the jurisdictions now are taking measures to educate the public, not only on the fact that it's not a genuine product, but the impact on the health and the significant damage that can happen through the community when you use fake medications or cosmetic goods. And so that's also significant because we weren't seeing that before. So the awareness that's been put in place in the public and then the legislative powers and the legislative authority that's been put in place are two very significant measures because people are being aware and then there's recourse that's available. Absolutely. Public can, but with their buying choices, can make an impact. Um, and it's really through through education. I remember uh, attending a lecture. Uh, it was through the IACC many years ago, and there were um, there was a Chinese official. You know, when you're, when you're talking about a place where there's a counterfeit culture, right? Where the those that are per, you know the consumers are looking for counterfeit. I mean, it's like the complete reverse of what we have uh, where, where we are here, 
okay, say in, in the US and many, many other places in the world. And the government through, through same kind of through education, actually started a, I don't know what it was called, but it was essentially like a certification program where stores would put a, like a decal on their window saying like all, um, like no counterfeit here or all, you know, only genuine um, products here. And then, you know, as consumers were becoming, you know, also more educated about the, you know, the negative impact of purchasing anti-counterfeit, it, there was like, there's been like a shift. And of course, this takes a lot of time and we're talking, (laughs) China's a very large population too. So I don't know what the current stats are on that, but it would be interesting to see if any kind of measures like that, learning from, you know, what was done in China to try to help ameliorate some of the the counterfeit culture. Yeah. And, you know, St. Martin has, has very publicly taken a stance also on this. And they have in December of 2022, for example, they had a number of anti-counterfeiting campaigns. And they have also engaged in some customs training, which is very important because with, you know, with the counterfeit measures that are in place now, it's very hard to distinguish the counterfeit goods from the real authentic goods. And so a lot of training with new legislation also, there's, there's a significant increased need for some training. Now, remember that these jurisdictions, tourism is the main industry. So a lot of the funding is going into tourism. And so to make a, a significant effort to divert some of that funding towards this training. Like you say, it's time consuming, but it's also very expensive. And it's, you know, it's, it's a very important shift. It's a, because now the awareness that's been created in St. Martin is going to spill over to Angola automatically. There's a huge traffic between Angola and St. Martin. And then we'll spill over to Saber to station to some of these other islands that are geographically very close to St. Martin. And plus the Minister of Justice who is is kind of walking these efforts through the, the country is going to travel. She's going to educate some of the other islands. So it starts there. They've made a decision, made the investment, and it will definitely spill over to the other islands. So some of the changes that you were mentioning, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing that where there's signage, there's marking, so people can, you know, differentiate and really have confidence in some of the storefronts that they are selling uh, authentic goods. Right. And you mentioned, you know, from uh, medicines, you know, so pharmacies too, right? I mean, that would be certainly very important. I wonder if if this is happening that, you know, you're talking about since the islands are close to each other and, and because of the, tourism is the main industry and people then are going to various islands on their trips. The, is there an is there an effort to kind of link the customs agents between uh, islands through like some kind of joint registry of go- goods that are coming in? Um, I mean, is any is there any talk if of that sort of thing, kind of an increased communication? in that regard, um, between the islands? I don't know if there's anything formal, but I do know that there, there's oftentimes some cross-training, cross-seminars between the different customs agents 
through the Caribbean. I know, for example, in Angola, there's no formal registration, St. Martin either, but I do know some other jurisdictions that have formal registration. I think a lot of that and the, the reason why we may not see it as yet has been a formal kind of registration system that overlaps like you do with a criminal registration database um, is because of the different laws and the different, you know, St. Martin is very 11 miles from Anguilla, but it's French and Dutch and we're British. So there's such a distinct difference in the way the laws are set up and the way the borders are being patrolled that it may not be as, e as, as easy to have that registration system put in place. But I do know that there are efforts and discussions for joint training and that overlapping training may ultimately result in this. And I know you said there was another big change in the Caribbean that you wanted to mention as well. What was that? Oh, yes. You know, I always keep my eye on WIPO because there are some people that's for uh, jurisdictions in the Caribbean joining the Madrid system and some people that's against, you know, I don't know really I, where I sit. It's just something to watch because as a practitioner, it definitely changes the practice of IP in the Caribbean. And in the last year, I think it was in the last year, we've seen Jamaica, which is one of our leading jurisdictions in the Caribbean and uh, Trinidad um, joined the Madrid system. And that is huge because Typically, you know, I grew up knowing uh, socially and for, for legal reasons, when you see a country like Jamaica and Trinidad uh, make a change, usually spills over into some of the other smaller Caribbean jurisdictions. And so that's huge for us because I know it was kind of in the discussions for a few years and then finally it happened. And so that kind of shows the power and the strength of WIPO within the region and their um, Attempts. I know there are some discussions in Barbados, which is also a very leading jurisdiction in the Caribbean, trend-setting uh, jurisdiction in the Caribbean. So when you see this happening, then as a practitioner, you begin to kind of reevaluate the way you're doing business and the, the opportunity to offer other services to brand owners because it, um, you know, there are some benefits to it and there are some downfalls as you know for us as practitioners. All right, so grab your crystal ball and tell us who are going to be the next islands to join WIPO. Rena, if I had to predict, I would definitely say Barbados is on the horizon. Um, mm -hmm. And then you know, maybe St. Lucia. And it's only because of the uh, growth, the economic growth and development in those jurisdictions, as opposed to some of the others that are still a little slower. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. And this is just in my mind and in my crystal ball. I have no real um, reason other than my superpowers to be able to call those two islands. Well, you're in it, so you know better than us. So that's why we 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 lean into what you're saying on on who who's likely to to follow Jamaica and Trinidad. Yes. What about your home island? What do you I, think? I, I very openly asked that question. I had an interview with the registrar. I did a, an interview with them in, last month, and I very openly asked the question. There have been no formal discussion about it. It's not on the table, but I know it's definitely something that they have noted. Um, and, you know, for Anguilla, the benefit would be the support that they can receive from WIPO in setting up an online system 
And that is, you know, that would be good for the country. To, but I don't know that Angola has the quantity of filings or the um, manpower to be to really meet the requirements of a WIPO filing. So they have some work to do on their end, but it, and it's not something that's on the horizon right now. But again, we're still a British dependent country. So uh, it's usually something like that has to be in a conversation through the governor's office. But as far as the IP office is concerned, it, they are not in any discussions at the moment. Okay, well, you'll keep us posted. Keisha, thank you for coming back to talk with me today. It's been a real pleasure. Oh, you're welcome. I really enjoyed it. And thank you for giving me the opportunity. I look forward to seeing you soon. And to our listeners, please like, follow, share with your friends, but also feel free to send comments and questions. Until next time. Women's Women's You have been listening to the Women's IP World Annual Podcast, hosted by Michelle Katz from Advitum IP in Chicago, on behalf of Northern's Media PR and Marketing Limited.